Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Data. This week we're continuing with the theme of the future of finance and work, but we're going to explore the intersection of open banking and the gig economy. I had a fantastic conversation with two guests about this. I'll let them introduce themselves in just a moment, but we did have a long discussion, so this episode's a little longer than usual, but I promise it is worth the listen. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. Thanks for being here today on Beyond the Data. Can you just take a second to introduce yourselves and uh, tell our listeners a little bit about you? Hi, I'm Fraser Anderson. I'm a principal at Vestiga Ventures and proud person on the cap table of Rails and Jobble. I would say to the extent to which there is a consistent theme through my career, it's been around using data to make investment decisions. I was involved in public markets after undergrad, fairly quickly realized that if you weren't investing in software or building software, you weren't in the game. So I went back to school. I did a master's in economics and data science. And shortly thereafter, I uh, found my way to Vestigo about five years ago. And I've spent my time working with people like Zach. And it's, it's a privilege and it's a lot of fun. I'm Zach Smith, uh, founder, co-founder and CEO of uh, Jobble. Uh, you know, I think crazy thing about myself is I grew up in Palo Alto as a basketball player, couldn't play ball anymore. Uh, like every other, like 99% of college athletes, some injury happens and they can't play anymore. So moved out here, uh, went to Northeastern, out here is in Boston, um, and then also went to Suffolk and have been out here for 12, 13 years, all with the mindset of like, you know, coming from the Bay, always wanted to start my own tech company. Um, and, you know, being in a good ecosystem of, of Boston has led me to meet people like Fraser and, and, and Vestigo um, and has made it so I didn't have to go rushing back home to my dad saying, hey, what's going on in the Valley? Um, and able to kind of build, a, a, you know, a, a tech, tech startup that we're still pushing through uh, in, in Boston. So. Uh, you know, grew up with the, um, you know, mindset of starting something from scratch and, and building something that you can be proud of, um, whether it's on a small scale or a large scale. Uh, but that's how I've always been dialed in and super excited to, to be on this call and, and, and dive a little deeper into uh, kind of the, the financial industry from a gig, gig worker perspective and a minimal training hourly worker, because I think that's an overlooked uh, area that that I think is super exciting and, and, and could be super beneficial for both the providers and the individuals. So first question, you know, how would you describe open banking from perhaps I can take this, perhaps I can take this one because this might be the only question that I'm an authority uh, <laughs> that I might pass for an authority on, though I'm <laughs> certainly not. So I would say open banking is is basically the idea that you can at the very least access your data that lives in your bank through an API. I think the real vision of open banking is the data and the functionality through an API. So if you think about all the commands you can execute within your banking application, if you could access that same functionality and data and allow it in such a way that a computer can take those actions on your behalf, that I think is probably open banking for me. Nice. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. Uh, Zach. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would agree. I also just think the opportunity that 
arises from open banking is endless. And I, I do believe like thinking about it from the perspective of APIs and, and being able to digest and, and actually use it from an application perspective for that individual and business, I think is tremendously important. Uh, you know, Jobble's obviously looking, you know, in, involved in, in from that perspective, um, but believe this is just the beginning of it. I think there's going to be a lot of evolutions, but with that and what we can do with that information and being able to have access to it, uh, that I think we're just starting. Um, and I'm I'm kind of lightly getting more and more interested in, in that perspective uh, because I do think as an independent worker, there there's you know, building tools and, and things and resources for them is, it, there's a lot of different aspects and that is one aspect that's a, a, a tremendously important. Yeah, and, and and to build on that a bit, Zach, so from the the gig economy side of things, um, you know, have you seen how open banking or how, how these different APIs has, have been really helping that that industry or how it impacts those workers? I think it's, the, the data insight that these workers are now being able to see versus kind of not ever having any interest or looking into it, I think gives a lot of perspective. So I think just having the ability to see what's going on on a regular basis, I think takes people's perspectives and decisions in a different way than historical nature. Um, so types of jobs to get, like what, where, where is your money really getting, where are you making the most money? Like, you know, in, in the thing that I get excited about is like, what hour of the day is do you make the most money, right? Like, where, you know, what product and what provider do I use to get, you know, to see kind of the ups and downs of my day to day, right? Like, I think from that perspective and being cognizant of, of that actually is almost unheard of uh, before this new generation. So, again, I think it's more cognizant of what's going on and how things are, are are moving, I think is 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 the most important thing as an independent worker. And that's what we're seeing in the gig economy and how it's opening people's minds up and how they're making their decisions. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. And and for me, what I start to think about on what you said is, you know, when I think about maybe a more uh, traditional banking approach, if I'm having to go to a branch or do this kind of in-person banking as a gig worker, it's like, man, like my each hour for me is that's yeah. time is money, right? Yeah. You know. So to your point, being able to to have the ability to be in a in a online or in a tech environment, even like by the hour, um, that was really interesting. I don't know if you could dive into that a little bit more of of uh, uh, and how that can really impact and and make like someone who's a gig worker just. In, totally change their their working dynamic yeah well an average gig worker works for two and a half different providers um a day and sometimes a week it's just depending on kind of how you look at it but if you think about when you hop in an uber right you always see that uber and lyft sticker right so they're already doing two so imagine they're doing one other thing that day which if you talk to any uber and lyft drivers they're they're doing about three or four different things right and they're mm -hmm. excited to tell you about all the projects they're working on um so the world of kind of micro work, call it, right, is is the way the flexible and the flexible workforce wants to operate. Hey, I, you know, I had a late night. I don't want to start work at seven a.m. I'd rather start it at two p.m. and then work to two a.m. Right, and I can do different things. Um, that that kind of micromanagement of your of your day to day from a work perspective. Um, 
is is what's super exciting about you know the gig economy as a whole is is it's a lot it's enabling and through again kind of bringing it back to open banking it's like being able to micromanage your day and maximize your daily income is what's the most exciting thing about being a gig worker now it's not for everybody but some people like the ups and downs and inconsistencies and and, and working you know different variety kind of massive diversity in, in work uh, some don't but the ones that do, that's that's where the gig economy shines. And be in over in order to be able to do the best at that, you need to be able to micromanage everything from your money, right? Like all the way down to the jobs you're doing. So it, it is interesting when you think of gig workers today. And I always tell everybody, like when you hop in an Uber, you see that that other sticker, right? So just imagine that this is everyone's day to day lives as they're working from one provider to the next, back to the other one to another one. Um, and really being able to do that and managing kind of your your financials at the same time is, is tremendously important. Yeah. Well, I want to jump in there because I think the opportunities are, are really tremendous. And you said a number of quite interesting things there, Zach. You know, every person is kind of a small business. And I know that might cause Marxists that are listening to sort of rend their garments in a kind of outraged ecstasy. <laughs> but I mean, they are and, and no one more so than a gig worker. I mean, in my own case, my my small business is fairly straightforward, but there's all sorts of financial automations that I probably should have that would make my financial outcomes better. A gig worker needs all those things. Plus, they have more disparate sources of income and they have sort of non-recurring revenue because they're not a W-2 employee. And those pieces of data aren't connected. Gig workers also generally have variable costs associated with their work. In my line of work, I have an expense account. I, I expense things when I incur an expense to perform a business objective, but the gig worker doesn't. But all that data lives somewhere. And even if it doesn't need to be the ground source of truth, there'd be a lot of ways to, to approximate things. So I think not only like at what time do you make the most money, but at what point are you the most profitable? You know. I think you could also take data around the activities the gig worker engages in, like what kind of car they drive for Uber. Okay, like if it's a nice car, if it's a big car, that's also like a, a billboard for any passenger that gets in the car. So could you use that automobile as, as marketing space? Could that be another way for gig workers to earn passive income? And I think if you had sort of more digital distribution for these, uh, these sort of ancillary opportunities, you can out unlock a ton of value. No, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm loving the conversation around that kind of macro to micro that, <clears throat> excuse me, that you touched on Zach of, you know, if I'm driving an Uber and a Lyft for the day and, you know, I'm, I'm not using like the data and the insights from a, you know, maybe an open banking app or something along those lines, I can just look at my account at the end of the day and go, cool, I made a thousand dollars today. Or I can look at these insights and take some actions on it and be like, oh, I made X amount of my total profits driving Lyft between these hours and this amount driving my Uber through these hours. So instead of slogging it out for 12 hours, I can make as much money in four hours. Yeah, and I, I also think that from an open banking perspective too, right, the power of, of open banking to me is, is identifying, um, you know, giving that individual first to identify where they're making money, but then making um, suggestions of other types of jobs they can do to, to match that similar income right? Or make more, right? Like that's where job will get super exciting is like, Hey, you know, we see all this 
you know, insight of this individual, what can we do based off that insight to provide them more opportunities similar to what they're doing, or maybe something out of the box, like kind of out of the box, but can make with the same amount of hours, make double as, as much money. Like, Hey, can we get, make this suggestion to them? So I think the concept of understanding a true pro bank, the, the profile, I was just like the profile of an individual from, from an income and, and, and banking perspective and linking that to other opportunities, whether it's where you work or, or other financial products that you can suggest. Like, I think that's where the real power is. That's where the magic happens because some people just don't know. So being able to provide that, that insight and suggestions. So taking one step further and it's like, okay, based off this insight, this is what we suggest for you. Those suggestions could double the, that person's income and give them another opportunity to make more money. So like, that's where the excitement I believe comes from is like, this is how you operate. This is what you do. Here's some good suggestions to navigate you from going from here to there. Um, and that's where I think the, the power of connecting what Jabba believes in is like the financial industry and, and the, the, the flexible work experience and matching those together. And I think that's where it's a happy marriage between minimal hourly workers that are used to this kind of tier of work, work where there's other tiers they can be just as successful in if they knew they were available. Um, and so I think making that match and combining financials with work is, is the power of, of kind of the ecosystem of how gig economy workers will continue to progress in their, in their gig careers. Yeah. That's super interesting. It's almost like a consultancy piece that comes along with it as well. Yeah. Which is, uh, yeah. which is yeah. super powerful. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, the way, you, the way I always think about it too, right? Like if you're working for, you know, Citibank as a, a bank teller versus an independent worker, right? Citibank has like these awesome benefits and awesome infrastructure. And, you know, you're, you're not out on your own, right? As an independent worker, you don't have any of that infrastructure. That's, you don't have that financial backing. You don't have access to, to, to financial products and the level of support. So we, the, I, I just think there's this, you know, the gap is continuing to be filled and, and help helping those individuals out, but they're just out on their own. So providing insights and making suggestions and being that trusted source for this individual that is by themselves in a car, right? Like allows them to kind of progress and, and, and make ends meet and, you know, uh, grow their income. Yeah. I love that. Let them do what they do best and then take care of the rest. Exactly. That's great. So we talked a lot about um, how open banking can really benefit the gig economy. Is there any are there any challenges or risks that um, that might come along with this that uh, you know we we need to make sure that people are aware of or kind of get on top of or something we need to think about as we move forward um, in this uh, yeah. in this space? There's a lot of challenges, a lot. I would say cyber is probably the biggest one. Anytime you make financial functionality available through an API or make it, if you can automate some layer of it, um, you're introducing risk that a bad actor can take that functionality with a computer program and do something nefarious. So that's big. You know, in Europe, they, they seem to pound their chest quite a bit about how sort of progressive they are on the open banking front. I don't know the extent to which that's been sort of transformative for the experience of European gig workers or other sort of European consumers. Um, I know the US is generally touted as an example of like being very retrograde on this issue. I mean, and that is 
perhaps because there are financial incentives for the the largest players in the market to keep their ecosystem closed because the costs of switching banking providers are are they're not immaterial. I think the other piece which isn't really talked about enough is you know, if you're if you're going to mandate some kind of a standard for open banking, some kind of like a API structure that all banks need to conform to to allow for like open banking across platforms across banking providers, that's going to be a massive cost. I mean, like banks don't just build external facing APIs for all their bank functionality. By and large, these systems kind of get stacked on top of one another. So that's a massive engineering lift. And then once you make something more flexible, people are going to hit that information. So who bears the cost of all those API calls? So th those are three, I would say, that are definitely challenges or risks. I think, I mean, I agree 100% with those three risks. <laughs> I, 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 do, I do think that just the nature of risk when exposing, you know, banking information and very private information is the the cyber perspective like i always just lean on that and you know are the product you know are the third party platforms and apps protected and doing the right things i know in the startup world we're always trying to do the right things but sometimes you know <laughs> it takes some time um and i think that's kind of the exposure that just goes goes with uh whenever you're dealing with sensitive data um but i'm more on the side of you know the, the reward is far greater than the risk so i'm not here gonna say hey you know these are all the reasons why it's not gonna work i'm gonna say and say here these are all the reasons why it's gonna work and why we need to do it so um, that's why you're ceo zach <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do it we're gonna break things <laughs> but i do agree with fraser but um, yeah, that's kind of my two cents on that. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, to your point, uh, hard to get anywhere awesome and cool without taking some risk, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, on that, it just makes me think of another question that uh, I think leads into this well is, um, how do you see this? Again, we talked talked a lot about open banking, APIs, gig economy. Um, do you see maybe today or maybe it's in the future a shift in the relationship of gig workers with more traditional banks and finance institutions uh, as they move maybe more toward open banking and more toward fintech? Um, is there what's going on there in that kind of traditional landscape compared to where we are and where we're headed? I think, and, and Fraser's heard this a lot, right? Like. I think pre 2020 in general, right? A, a minimal training hourly worker, gig worker has been looked down upon, right? People go to the grocery store like, hey, you're just working, you're, you know, the cashier, or, you know, you're stocking shelves. Uh, and then, you know, 2020 rolls around and, uh, you know, COVID hits and, and, and who are the people kind of delivering these groceries, right? Who's the one stocking the shelves? Who's the, who's the heartbeat of the economy when the economy is literally Dead in in homes, right? Uh, and it's the it's the 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 look down upon minimal training hourly workers, the seventy million Americans out here that were pumping around, you know, risking their own lives to save others, right? And then I think it's kind of a slap to the face of the folks that you know, at, like wake up, like the, the the most important people for this economy are these minimal training hourly workers, and I, it's they save millions and millions of lives when you know people didn't want to go outside 
but some people were outside because they had to be, um, because that's how they make money. That's their work life. And so, you know, kind of post 2020, it's like, okay, from my perspective, it's all about, hey, everyone, these folks need the level of support that this higher tier gets access to. And the idea of bringing banking to, you know, the underbanked or underrepresented workforce is extremely important. And not just on the that side of just like, hey, do you have a bank account? But it's more about like, hey, do you know you have, there's these great products that can help support you now in the future, right? What we believe in is maximizing individuals' daily income, but also supporting now, them now and in the future. And I think the biggest movement that's happening now is people are getting smarter, especially at that 70 million American demographic that we look at. And they're, you know, the idea of building products to support them is finally becoming appealing to these large organizations, which I'm on the calls with all the time. But the true issue that they still come with is build products that are simple, that already exist, right? Keep them simple, make them digestible so anyone can understand them, and you'll make it happen, right? And I think slowly but surely that's starting to roll. Um, but it, it, the world of underbanked or unbanked, I think, is slowly but surely getting more and more people are getting banked and, and, and kind of moving the, the, the financial from a financial perspective. Um, but I still think there's a lot more. I just, I just believe that COVID kind of helped kind of shine a light on these, these underrepresented individuals. Um, but I just think there's still a long way to go. But I do think the big dogs up there in the banks, right, are starting to realize like, hey, there's, there are people here that, A, could be a customer of ours, and we can help them support their family, and they can also continue to grow. Um, and it's just slowly but surely uh, coming, to, coming to the market. And, and, and kind of what we, obviously what we focus on is, is bringing those products to them, um, because I do believe they aren't that complex. I think they're, it's just, a, can they, are they digestible? You can have all this data all over the world, right? But like, if I, I always say this, if I can't, you can show me all the data points, but if I can't digest what we're seeing, what's the point of the data points? Mm. That's like anybody, right? Building things that are digestible is the key. And so whether it's for large enterprises or for an individual gig worker, it holds the same. So when I look at the financial industry, when I look at banking, when I look at the the future of building financial products for that 70 million Americans who are the foundation of the United States and of the world. Like it's really bringing those, those products in a digestible manner that can help them today and in their future. There's one thing that I wanted to maybe take a slightly different perspective on here. I think fundamentally I agree with everything Zach has said, but I think the big unlock in in this segment is really around making sure that you're creating value for the gig worker with sort of like the platform shift to mobile platform shift to the cloud it does mean that banks can profitably service anyone but the question is like can you profitably acquire them and for a gig worker which is like generally going to have like lower account balances less savings mm -hmm. they're not attractive as a wealth management client perhaps just yet unless they're sort of like really young they're in college or they're a recent grad and they might upskill in some way or, or do something else, the majority of them will need auto loans and that's a profitable product and it costs very little to, to bank them. So the question becomes, well, then how do we acquire them profitably? 
And um, and that's really where I think Jobble and other platforms like Jobble, though there's none quite like Jobble, are, are so successful because the folks come for the work, they come for the wages and the economic opportunity. And these are the places I think where the incumbent you know, institutions have an opportunity to, to distribute to these users. But I've seen I've seen so many pitches of fintechs that are saying this segment is underserved. Therefore, I'm going to create a financial product for this segment. That's been I can empirically prove that's a terrible business model. Right. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for thank you for that. That was that was some awesome information around everything you just said. And to build on a, a little bit. Um, so, and you touched on it, uh, both of you did a little bit, but is there any, anything around, uh, that we can add around the, uh, you know, idea of gig workers getting access to capital if they need it or managing cash flow that traditional banks, for example, just might be a little hesitant on because to your point, Fraser, maybe it isn't profitable or, you know, maybe they're not, they don't have the, um, financial history for a traditional bank to kind of maybe want to take that kind of risk is there anything else that we can maybe touch on on that and, and how uh this can help those gig workers so so i think it's like uh it's a it's this it's a step process right like it's not you don't just get loans and you can just do everything right away right like the way the world works is you gotta like credit right you gotta build up credit right um in order to do that so it's not for me, it's the idea of, let's just take credit for instance, right? It's the idea of how do I build credit, right? So I can have these unlock other opportunities. How do I get a job that's not just, um, you know, a warehouse worker? How do I become, a, you know, the warehouse manager or operations, right? Like, how do I get, it's not like all of a sudden, let's just give access to anyone and everyone, because I also think, there's a level level of education that is needed in order to be able to do that, right? And so it's not, so I, I think a lot of people try to create products and I think Fraser's kind of, uh, like they try to create these products and like this is going to, you know, we're gonna create this loan, you know, vehicle that works for this target market, right? Cool, they might take out loans, but they don't know what it means when they have these loans and what's their responsibility and what they're exposing themselves and how they could, ruin their credit if they do make the wrong decisions right it's like no no here's all these loans like and that's not that's not where i think um i don't think that's the issue of like hey can we give loans to people like i i actually think it's more on the educational side mm -hmm. of folks understanding what it the literacy of financial literacy right and it's taking steps in that direction and so it's it, it might not be like hey i need $20,000 for something. Oh, I could just go get this loan with crazy interest rates on it and you got to owe a bunch of money and then all of a sudden you don't think about it. I was that person at 19 years old. I was like, I'll take $20,000. I could take it that I don't, I'm not never paying it back. <laughs> then you got to work 10, 15 years to get your credit back, right? Like mm -hmm. the financial literacy is the, is the, is actually the most important thing. So how do they gain financial literacy? Through, through research, like the first thing I was saying, like education and research, like understanding and reading things that you can actually digest. When you think about financial products, they, they seemingly are complex, but if you actually provide them insight and get people more financial literate, they'll be able to make decisions and have access to them, right? So it, it, for me, it's more about financial literacy, 
understanding why they need it through and a lot of things by just doing working and going through it and then after you understand the literacy then it's like hey i can get these 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 micro loans like uh, you know what do you call it when uh, prepay your 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 uh, salaries right like every weekly check whatever you call them even though that that industry is a little bit shaky but you know it's like oh i can get cash advances on my you know payroll like cool and then you're like well, you just spent that in two days, yeah. and when you actually get yeah. it, you owe that money. So now you're sitting there yeah. two days broke, right? Yeah. Financial literacy is key with those products. Yeah. So it's not really the products going in; it's more understanding what to do when you have those yeah. products. I think is the most important. Yeah, this is another topic that is somewhat misunderstood, and and perhaps that's because interest rates had been low for so long that sort of like you get a loan for an interest, then and a loan has an interest rate that has to be paid back. So if we go back to the small business metaphor, you bank a small business and provide a working capital line of credit for a business that has operating losses, you're going to be a you're a bad banker and you're going to be out of business soon, as is the business ultimately. You know, if you're providing capital to buy an asset, for a small business, well, you know, now that's interesting. Maybe that's the auto loan, which allows them to buy a bigger car, which allows them to drive an Uber Black or an Uber XL so they can earn more money. There's this sort of rare event where there's some kind of a dramatic medical event where they need the capital to sort of survive, for lack of a better word, keep them back on their feet so they can pay off the loan or, you know, work their way into a mortgage. Like, but these are relative edge cases. I would say, by and large, gig workers are a higher credit risk and appropriately so than W-2 workers. They don't have recurring revenue by and large. Increasing access to credit for the wrong reasons is, is, is very much like a poisoned gift, I would say. Yeah. Honestly, that this that, that this could be an entire separate podcast around the financial literacy point because it's yeah. so important. Yeah. It, that, yeah. that, that said, like if you're a gig worker with open banking, all your financial activity from years could be put into some kind of a file which demonstrates like your cash flows, that you're a good saver, that you consistently make X amount per week, which should allow you to get a cheaper mortgage. Like that's for sure, hundred percent for sure. Right. Of, of open banking, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I don't know um, for you for you guys, but I know for me growing up and going through the educa education system, even through college, like finance courses were very much just like, here's the, the transactional, like here's how things work. But it's still, there wasn't a lot of like, how is this, what does it look like for me if I were to do this in the real world and that financial yep. literacy piece. So um, that's a great point. Uh, last big question I have is is, you know, open banking gig economy uh for both of you guys what what does the future look like i know it's an open-ended maybe maybe loaded question but you know if you to look down the line five ten years what would what would this look like the marriage between the two and and what's that kind of uh north star in your opinion i i think it's pretty simple right it's i think it's um i think Gig workers take their, you know, basically they double. I think that the, 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 actually the result is they double their salary, right? Like, because actually they double, double their income. Let me put it that way. Right. Because what I look at is like, Hey, if you start making money like this, the way people start making more money is they start investing. They have, you know, 401ks, they have IRAs, they do all these different things, right? Like, and then you're still making your salary, right? But all of a sudden your, your, your net worth continues to grow because you're taking that money, you're putting it elsewhere, but you're continuing to work, 
right? Like, and I believe if you you've built, you know, I think when they when it's together, kind of open banking and and the gig economy, which is work and banks, right? Like when it comes together, it's you're exploiting both of them at the max capacity, meaning you're 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 getting all the opportunities that you possibly can through both work and financial infrastructure, right? And so I just say simple, like, hey, you doubled your salary over the last, your income, I don't wanna say salary, income has doubled because first you keep busting your ass, but you also keep, you put your money in the right places so you see both of them grow. So all of a sudden you've just doubled. Um, I think that is a very simple concept, right? It's, there's all these different cool financial products we can put in the in the picture and make it look all good and we can add these. That's great. But the bigger thing is, did I just double my income by doing all these things? Do I have that level of support? Do I think my future is bright? And I've been doing the same thing, but I'm just seeing the multiples happen. That to me is what a lot of smart people in this world have figured out, right? All these people that have made a lot of money have figured out, I can keep getting my, you know, my salaries and work hard and do my, my stuff. But at the same time, I have, I have things working in the background. That concept just doesn't exist or exists for a very small population when, I, when I'm talking about the minimal tra trained hourly worker, right? Like that, that concept doesn't exist. But as we continue to keep growing and building great products and building financial literacy between everybody so they understand what to do and what not to do, doubling their income over a you know, short period of time, then they'll be like, oh man, this is working. I see it, let me dive in deeper. And I think that's what we want to get to. Um, and I think it's a variety of different different products that will get us there. But for me, it's very simple. It's, hey, I want to double my income. Have, people, have things working in the background while I'm working, right? That's, that's, that's the concept that I think a lot of people uh, have been able to uh, see that other people might not have that opportunity as of now. I see every platform that gig workers interact with to get paid is going to run on a software. There are going to continue to be startups that use AI or machine learning to automate away, like automate savings and investing for anyone based on their cash flows. There will be companies that aggregate banking data, uh, credit card spend data, wage data across these platforms that can feed into those automation layers. There will be there will continue to be companies that help match financial products based on the profile of the individual. And I think all those platforms and middleware layers are gonna be married into whatever service a gig worker uses to get paid. And they're gonna be essentially able to make almost perfect financial decisions using software. And it's gonna be easy. Love it, love it, that sounds, that sounds great. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm feeling like, man, I need to start. I need to go into the gig economy here and start doing a little, <laughs> little side hustle for myself. <laughs> Thank you both for joining me today on Beyond the Data, Razor, Zach. I, I appreciate your time and, uh, and insights. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Jamie. This is awesome. I told you it'd be worth to listen, right? A little longer than our typical episode, but. What a wealth of information. Another huge thank you to Fraser and Zach for joining me on this episode of Beyond the Data. And if you want to hear more episodes, just head on over to rails.ai and have a listen. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. 
and I will see you in the next episode.